revision.io. So yeah, I, I wrote down this uh, this topic or the little intro text that you might have read uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, in in a moment of, of um, inspiration and creativity after uh, after I was asked by Pedro to host this roundtable and I took it out again um, on during the the, la the last weekend and I, and I read it and I was kind of like, whoa, this sounds really interesting. I would like to participate in this. Unfortunately, I'm the host of the table. So now I really have to fill this uh, with content and see what, what it is all about. Uh, yeah, I hope I carved out some insights and ideas that are interesting for you and for us and that will bring us into a uh, fruitful discussion or conversation about organizational design. First of all, uh, my name is Sven. Uh, I'm from an organization called uh, Open State. Uh, I'm one of nine co-founders. Uh, this organization is actually um, comes in, in, in two forms. Uh, the first one is a non-profit organization and the second one is for-profit. Uh, at the non-profit side, where we are experimenting with new forms of uh, societies and new forms of organizations in a very hands-on practical way. Uh, normally we, we build kind of uh, innovation camps, throw in a bunch of people, uh, wait for a couple of uh, weeks or whatever it is, it can take a couple of months as well, uh, and try to figure out new, new things that work and that serves us as humanity better than the way we are doing it right now. On the for-profit side, we have different uh, office. Personally, I'm working uh, as an organizational consultant, mostly an organizational developer. Okay, so maybe first the question, uh, what is organizational design? Um, I cannot claim that I completely know this and I have never used this word before. This was a spontaneous uh, idea, but it, it has been used before. Um, so maybe just the idea how I'm, uh, I, I would like to use it today for our discussion. When I talk about design, I'm thinking of um, purposefully creating, uh, creating something to serve a certain goal. So it's kind of like making purposefully use of organizations as a tool. And organizations, I, I wouldn't also wouldn't go into, into the formal definitions because they are extremely complicated. If you're acquainted with uh, theory of systems or something, you know this like they're really hard hard to grasp. So maybe um, it's enough for for this talk to contemplate a little bit uh, about uh, organizations in a very practical sense um, and contemplate in how many organizations we are actually part of all of our time and all of our life. So when we are born, we are in a hospital that is an organization, uh, schools are an organization, universities, this conference is an organization. Um, the organizations or companies we are working at are, uh, are organizations and so on and so forth. So we are, we are surrounded by them all of the time and we are part of organizations at the same time uh, and normally we are not reflecting about it so much. So maybe the first insight here is already we do not have to understand organizations in order to use them or to be part of it. We are, we are just there. A little disclaimer as well, um, talking about organizational design, this sounds a little bit like we figure out new forms of organizations that are fantastic and work well and then we just install them in, in, in every detail and then we can make use of them. This normally doesn't work. Uh, coming from a systemic side, uh, I'm pretty aware that uh, organizations are complex, complex um, organisms more or less and they emerge and it is uh, impossible to to direct them directly. We always have to work with them 
by interventions, seeing what happens and go into circles forwards. Uh, and the second thing, how we can influence uh, organizations, and this is one of the insights of the last years and with the camps that we have done, uh, the basic is assumptions that underlie the whole idea of the organization has a huge influence of the, uh, for the direction the organization is developing in, into. <coughs> okay, so this was a little bit abstract maybe, so I, I brought a little case uh, to illustrate the basic idea of, um, that I was thinking of. Um, one of our projects at Open State is called, uh, or was called Refugee Open Cities. Uh, it was uh, the, the second really big project uh, that, that we started. Uh, and um, yeah, as the name already, already hints at, uh, it, it's about um, dealing with the migration uh, issue that became really big, especially in Germany and many other countries as well during the last years. Um, in 2015, when, when the influx was especially uh, huge, we were still in, a, in another transition camp, or one of these big innovation camps in France. At that time, dealing with the topic of climate change, uh, the camp was all about building open source technologies um, for basic human needs. And the, whole, the idea of the whole camp was to practically try out uh, a possible a cell of a possible future society that works better than uh, our society works right now at the moment, especially when it comes to climate change. Uh, this camp was, was running over the course of seven weeks and with uh, 300 people, many inventors, engineers and so on. Um, yeah, and we were kind of like in our little bubble there, but then we were reading the newspaper and saw, oh my God, what's going on in Germany? So many people are coming and this is going to be a huge issue. We have no idea how to deal with them and, and um, how, to, how to provide everything they need um, in this short amount of time. And what could be, what could be our um, contribution to help to, uh, to solve this, this challenge? And then one, one of our participants was actually making kind of a joke. He said, well, if you look at all the shelters and uh, the refugee camps that are popping up everywhere at the moment, they are very similar to what we have here. It's kind of as we are living right now in a luxury version of a refugee camp. And first we thought, oh, this, this sounds politically incorrect uh, somehow because like, we are really well off here and with our limited amount of time and everything. But at a closer look, we had to agree. So we were also living in big dorms with mattresses on the floor. There was no proper heating. We had no bathrooms, uh, compost toilets outside for everybody. Um, centralized food preparation that we had to organize uh, ourselves. Uh, and some tents outside of the castle where other people could sleep when we didn't have enough spaces. So then the question came up. if the infrastructures or the physical environment is so similar of this innovation camp that we are doing and all the refugee shelters and refugee camps that pop up, why are they so different in nature? Why do we have like a really good time and work together really well and many of us have, are making kind of transformer, transformative experience and even like change jobs and lifestyles after that while in refugee shelters, this is probably one of the least places you want to be. You are just, it's, it's places of, of grief and uh, boredom, uh, loneliness partly, and uh, definitely no self-determination. 
Uh, we didn't have a ready-made answer, of course, but um, the idea was born to transfer the insights of the social archi ar architecture of these uh, transition camps to refugee shelters, and then we wanted to to see how it, how it works out. Yeah, it took some some time um, <laughs> that somebody let us in. Uh, in the end, there was a, a brave Malteser entrepreneurial uh, manager of one of the shelters in Berlin with 600 people. Maybe you know it, that was at Karl, Karl Marx Allee, the big old uh, CNA warehouse. Uh, and he basically he said, I didn't understand what you mean, um, but it sounds interesting. Come in, do whatever you want to do, and uh, then probably I will understand it. Yeah, and that's what we did. And um, I have to spare you the details a little bit now because we don't have time to go deep into this uh, this, this project. It took us one year to find out how we could like turn this bottom-up approach of a of a pyramidical organizational structure where the refugees are catered with services um, and actually are just sitting around and waiting to to a bottom-up approach where everybody is involved and in really creating a new environment for them and uh, helping themselves to find access to the neighborhood and uh, learn the skills that they need to get out and um, learn the jobs that they want to do. Uh, in the result, uh, we built um, a village, an indoor village. There was a huge space. It's actually almost as big as this one. Yeah, it's uh, quite similar. And we completely filled it up with an indoor village with different spaces like a, a kita, a, a women's space, um, a tea house for the for the men, um, uh, a gym and a, a cinema space in the middle, a marketplace and stuff like this. So it worked, <coughs> worked pretty well. So um, the basic claim is uh, that I would like to make as a result is uh, it might sound pretty pretty trivial. And this is when we when we enter a different environment, we change or the experience we make, uh, the, the the way we experience the world changes, and our behavior changes, and our emotion changes, and actually we change. We are different human beings in different contexts. And this was also true for for the refugees. Like in the beginning, when we started the projects, from all professionals we talked to, they said. This sounds really good, what you want to do, and we support you, but don't be disappointed, it, it won't work. The refugees have already um, a service attitude, and uh, they won't help you to do anything. They will, they will wait that you do it for them. And our hypothesis was, yes, that is true, and it was true. That was what we encountered when we entered the, uh, the setting for the first time. However, after one year, it has completely changed. Everybody was really involved. So the hypothesis was, this is created not by the people. They are not lazy. They are not something. They are just in the wrong context. The environment is wrong. It's about organization. It's about the organizational design of this um, refugee shelter in the end. So if this is actually... I'm not sure if it sounds uh, trivial to you. Um, I don't know. Do, do we want to go into the discussion right now, or can it wait a little bit? Um, I think you're uh, conflating uh, environmental design and organizational design here. This is about environment design, I think, not about organizational design. 
Okay, let's let's go into this a little bit later. Um, and first of all, I, I finish the impulse, okay? And then we can talk about what's the environment and what is probably, uh, or what's your definition or your take on it. Okay, um, so my question would be, if um, if we actually know that context matters and that organizational design matters, and this is quite uh, quite obvious, then my question would be, why are we not making use of it? Uh, and my take on it, or my suggestion would be, it's about the underlying assumptions that we have. And our underlying assumptions are still coming from from a time that is kind of, uh, that started like 300 years ago. It's the age of enlightenment. Uh, there are probably like many reasons, of course, why we are still uh, stuck in, in the environments uh, that we are right now, like past dependencies and uh, in game theory, you could like model complicated uh, things that we are in competition and so on and uh, organizations are stuck in this competition. But there are definitely also underlying assumptions uh, of how we understand us as humans and our societies. And I do a little bit of name dropping here right now. Maybe um, you have heard of John Locke. He's kind of the godfather of liberalism. Uh, that was uh, that was one of the starting points of our modern Western societies and liberalism. Also the notion of individualism uh, that became really, really strong, especially in the Western cultures and that spread all over the world later. Then Adam Smith with his invisible hand, um, basic notion, we are rational, self-centered or self-interested individuals and um, we are competing, uh, or, yeah, we are, we are just like doing or working for ourselves and the invisible head will sort this out and form all this to a meaningful, um, larger society or economic system. And then Immanuel Kant, of course, who also reduced humans to our, our ability to be reasonable, to our reason, and he actually claimed that we are reasonable beings and so we can build on this um, everything we build, like democracies and so on. And all these narratives have become under pressure recently, pretty much. Uh, I start with the latter one. Um, are we really reasonable beings? Uh, when you look at all the votes that are happening around the world at the moment, it seems like people are much more dealing out of, um, or that we are much more dealing out of our emotions, not of our reasons. So we are not voting for the most reasonable uh, choice for us, but we, we are voting out of, uh, out of fear or uh, of identities uh, and whatever assumptions we have about the world, but it's not logic. Also, the, we have learned that the invisible hand is not our, only our friend. It might work out for some things, but it's definitely not working out for the environment, and this uh, affects us as well. Um, yeah, and liberalism, if you look to America, uh, half of the population there is uh, feeling that they are left behind by the liberal societies and so they, they do not see a way forward and we do not have a concept yet, so they go backwards and try to go back to authoritarianism a little bit more. So uh, this would also be the reference then to my intro text. Um, I think on the on the individual level, we have already made some progress. I think the talk here, I, I listened in a little bit, was a lot about meditation and uh, um, and the human body and so on. I only got like a couple of minutes. 
So we have already learned that we are not these um, rational, reasonable individuals. And also, um, th this is actually the notion is, is pretty old. Buddhism already claimed this uh, 2,000 years ago. Nowadays, also, uh, the neurosciences come after this. And, and that what they find out is actually that we are almost hallucinating our identity. And we are definitely not this entity that we think we are. And this is, this is a big challenge to the concept that we have of individualism, because everything is built on this, also democracy in the end. Um, in the outer world, we do not have this progress yet. We are not contemplating so much about organizations, uh, contexts, environment, however you want to construct this. And so um, my suggestion would be um, organizations are really hard to grasp. Is one of the reasons that we are not so aware yet. And we do not reflect our basic assumptions regularly. We take, take them as granted, like we take freedom as granted but we got used to it so much that we are not value, valuing it um, so much any longer. So um, before we start the discussion, um, yeah, here, here are at least uh, three possible solutions and then you can step in and see uh, or take, uh, yeah, come in with your takes on it. Uh, I would suggest that we have to, to learn to see organizations a little bit better. There are like some some interesting tools or helpful tools that that make makes us um, understand what's going on in organizations. Um, then re also reflect our assumptions, and then probably use organizations to nudge us in a sense to become or to behave in a way that we like, and also to feel in in a way that we like, and to be in a way that we like, and make better use of this instead of just referring to the overcome and yeah prevalent models that we use at the moment in economics, corporations and many other organizations. That's the impulse. Who would like to take part in the round table at first? <laughs> Definitely you. You as well? Fantastic, that are two. Do you have one more? Otherwise we start with you. Yeah, Maren. Maybe you can introduce yourself uh, by name and your background first. Is the mic on? Yeah. It, it works. So, uh, hi, I'm Sasha. I'm, uh, I'm come from, coming from a design background. I've been building startups uh, for like 20 years now. I've been teaching for, for some time and currently I'm also running a community for design leadership and hence uh, organizational design uh, got more and more onto onto the table onto the table because when you want people to enable people to do something you need to design their environments and the governance and the policies and so on and deal with the human all the human factors in the system so i moved away from products to people this is currently my background on that mm -hmm. okay um shall we make a short introduction round for yeah for, yeah nice Okay, hi, I'm Katarina. I'm an agile coaching consultant. I've been freelancing for quite a while and I've worked um, in a design thinking innovation consultancy and I'm now working in a more holistic one that has a systemic approach. We do design thinking, Scrum, Kanban, all of those and organizational development. And I'm a neuroscientist by training, so I can relate to uh, what you said before and I would support that in a yeah, specific manner that I will 
you know, elaborate on later. And I have also philosophy background, so I kind of can relate to what you said before. And I'm very excited to uh, hear the difference about environmental and organizational designs from Sasha. So, yeah. Thank you. I'm Maren. I've been working with, with Sven before, actually. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> In a, um, how do we call it, big organizational change process, yeah. maybe. Uh, so we do uh, change management. I've got a small uh, uh, company with a, another co-founder. Uh, and I'm also a philosopher by background. And I'm actually jumped in because I want to defend Kant a little bit. <laughs> But oh, not good. only. Uh, because the way we do change management uh, and organizational development is that we use uh, the critical thinking, which is basically the... the very basic methodology of philosophy, I think, but use it in a very practical way. So I, I think I might have to add something about how to reflect on assumptions and what assumptions do to us and how we might discover them. Perfect. That's really nice. I, by the way, I also have a background in philosophy. <laughs> yeah, and I know. <laughs> and I never liked Kant. It was really nice. To, I to always love Kant. Yeah, okay, but good. let's not make this into, <laughs> turn this into philosophy. So, so Sasha, you get well, the first, uh, first word. Just to, <laughs> to plus one this, uh, I think Kant is actually great, great <laughs> if you read the Kritik uh, der Urteilskraft, which is about creating knowledge a posteriori uh, and looking for the single cases. And this is what design does, actually. Yeah. It creates prototypes for, for, for knowledge. And But anyway, um, maybe we can try to uh, get to one certain aspects here, uh, what drives people's behaviors, which is, I think, one of, one of the core aspects of organizational designs. So you've got behaviors showing up in organizational results. Organizations exist to create certain results. And uh, you, got, you need to support them by people's behaviors. And uh, then there are the drivers for these behaviors. And the most powerful driver for human behavior or one of the most powerful driver for human behaviors is identity actually um, the second one is the environment so if you want to change behaviors you can do this by willpower or you can ch uh, make changes in the environment to reduce friction for the behavior you want to have and to make it easy to do the right thing and But on the other hand, if this contradicts your identity, you're, in, you're still in trouble. And I think many cases of, let's say, organizational misbehavior or anything we don't want to see there is a kind of product of, on one hand, bad environment, and on the other hand, on um, lack of alignment in terms of identity, purpose, values, and so on. And So f for me, one, one, one of the most interesting aspects here is organizational identity, which is traditionally more kind of a marketing perspective, like, okay, that's a brand, that's how we be, uh, behave, and, and so on. But it mostly is done from an outside-in perspective. Um, what if we think this from an inside-out perspective, from, from the value side, for example, from the purpose side, and then move this whole aspect of organizational identity to the center of an organization not not and may and this 
this requires a kind of shared stewardship. And this is where decentral technologies might come into play. So my, actually my, my question to, to the whole round here is how could we maybe um, create a shared stewardship for organizational identity in a new way? Interesting. Thank you very much. Katarina? Yes, okay, Katarina. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so many, so many emotions, so many reactions for that. Um, I think it's important, as you said, to work from two sides, from the um, outcome, like what's the result of that organization, what is it aiming towards, and also what are the people, which is where you come into the values. So you, um, like I used to teach a lot this whole lead by example um, manner for like new startup leaders to say, guys, you have to consider the values of your group in order to be a good leader because the guys like, that you hire are going to follow you based on their identity. So if they can align with your values and the values that you impersonate in your organization that you write down in your organization, you're going to make progress faster and you're going to keep people at your side. And of course, like Sasha said, you need to uh, define the environment in such a way that these behaviors and the values that they are based on are easy to follow and that behaviors that are not according to those values are punished in some way or are not wanted in some way. So I think this organization building is relevant to like connect to the discourse that you were bringing up in the sense of we now are entering an age where we're all self-organizing, where the individual is very willing to uh, spend a lot of time at work and to really do work that serves your purpose. Like I'm not going to do any job that is not aligned with my values anymore. I'm going to do something where I can really bring in my whole personality. So we need to understand that self-organization also means constant transformation, means constant change. And I think organizational design and the question that we're facing today is how do I incorporate this constant change on an individual level into my organization? Like how do I uh, build structures that are open to that transformation, that are open to that input for employees. So the question for me is, how can we build that? Like, what are, what are things that we're experiencing that are saying, hey, um, you're my employee, but you're not only my employee. I want to see you as a person, and I want you to be seen by me. I want you to feel like you can really bring your values here, like you can really bring your whole input here. And I want to, like, what I would want to talk about is how can I encourage that in an employee? How can I encourage that as a leader of an organization? Thank you very much. And Aaron? Uh, yeah, I'd actually, uh, instead of pitching another topic... Um, yeah, you can also I'd, react if you like, of course. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd actually like to offer, because I don't feel like I need to react right away. Okay. Um, please come, come in the middle. <laughs> can also very shortly name, uh, tell, you, tell us your name. Okay, uh, so my name is Franziska, Franziska Krüger. Uh, I work for an organization called uh, Les Enfants Terribles. Uh, we also do organizational design, organizational development. And uh, I jumped in because uh, of actually something that you said, uh, like the, the value part of it. And uh, something that I would like to add to the discussion is uh, the concept of learning and like practicing things actually, which I think is very important when we talk about values. Um, so the question, how, uh, yeah, how do we make them tangible in a way, you know, and like how do we go, and I think that's like very close to design, obviously, like how do we go through these like iteration circles 
and like basically constantly reflect uh, you know like are we doing the right thing like what does actually go well like what do we learn from it so like to really kind of take people on a journey and like constantly check in with each other okay thank you very much now we have many questions but they are kind of in line as I feel it how can we construct uh, organizations in the way that they serve the identity of the people and that they organizations probably de develop an identity on their own and then connected to the leadership question how can we lead in these organizations uh, what role does self-organization play in it be interesting to hear from your designing side as well probably and uh, you're in line with these questions as well right is that, is that sure. correct yeah sure. okay so what ideas do you have maybe let's go into some brainstorming or some experience that you have made so far or insights that you collected uh, from your work and from your perspectives? Maybe um, w one observation in terms of uh, self-organization has been that um, efficient self-organization requires a quite a large amount of maturity, actually. Um, you need to be very reflected. If you have a very young organization with rather inexperienced people, self-organization wreaks havoc mostly. Um, so that, there's a certain maturity aspect in here and um, that's I think where also kind of these transformational leadership concepts uh, c come in and how can you help people to develop the maturity to be able to self-organize. Okay. Yeah, how can you develop, how can you make people mature enough? I feel like, like, I agree with you. I agree that, like, early comp, like, you know, early startups, they are mostly chaos. <laughs> But um, they're not usually far from being a super well self-organized organization if you give them just a certain amount of methods on hand and, like, help them um, to see what their role actually entails. And I want to just enlighten the other side. Like, I feel like I've worked... Um, for the first part of my work experience with big corporates where we had the exact opposite problem. Like it was an incredibly mature organization, but it was all stuck and like there was no transformation at all. There was no, not much learning, like you said before. And I feel like, um, to relate to your question about how can we enable this, this constant learning and checking in with each other, I really feel like it's an openness that has to come from leadership. Because in the end, if the leader models that behavior and models this I'm open to hearing what you actually have to say it kind of you know procreates inside the the organization and another point to that is that for me the way I work is I would establish company values and then we would nail down the behaviors that these come to so if our value is learning or is constant um, self-evaluation then we would like nail down a list of behaviors that we actually want to practice in that organization and reflect on that process How do you model the values for the organization? You impersonate them as a leader. So you have to work with leadership first. And of course also with the other organizational members. But my experience and also my experience as a neuroscientist is that it always comes um, top to bottom. Bottom is great. Bottom is amazing. And we need that. Like it doesn't work if the people are not engaged and if the people are not willing to work with the values. But if the leader doesn't model them, they're not going to survive, I think. So um, one, one more experience of mine is that you cannot prescribe values. Values are inherent in the people you have. So you can discover organizational values 
uh, mostly also, for example, not by asking people because people will tell you what is socially acceptable and what they aspire to, but uh, looking at the existing behaviors and especially how, for example, how decision making works. This will serve as most organizational values. And then you can try to say, okay, we are here. Um, we are not the, let's say, person we want to become. What can we do in order to become that person? But you need to work from the values you have there. And that's also, well. So maybe uh, Francisca would like to... Can I, can I, I just like respond to, to that? Because mm. it's really cool. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, if it's yeah, really it's, cool, it's, then yeah, you have to respond minute. right now. It's yeah. a minute. <laughs> Francisca, you will get your take. Yeah, literally 30-second response. No, I think it's great what you say because you have to work with what is there. And I think, yes, people are going to tell you what is socially acceptable if you give them methods that don't give the space for this unconscious what they really want. you know. And I think this is where our work as organizational developers uh, comes in, where we need to employ methods that actually bring out what people want without you know giving them this oh i need to keep track of my social reputation this is our job i think um maybe you take this one then i can stay in moderation it's better um so Francisca, what's your take <laughs> on Very on good. the do you have something newer would you like to go into this like how can we establish um self-organization is this a solution in your view at all uh, and how about the role of leadership and maturity as well of the people you're working with i mean I totally agree with uh, with what you said, and I think I would like to go a little bit more into like what are these tools actually? Because I think something like that we established here is now like, of course, like you need to discover values, but like it's also our role as organizational developers to like kind of change them and maybe you know model a more desirable behavior than the ones that we find when we come into an organization. Um, and I don't actually think that like self-organization like can be a goal. Like I would hardly go into an organization and say, okay, like we need to self-organize. But I think it's always about like finding out like on the journey, like what's the right thing, you know, like where is leadership at? Where are people at? Like where do we actually want to go? Like what's happening actually? And, um, I mean, I always come back or like quite a bit to like this experiential learning cycle, you know, that's also like, I mean, you work with uh, agile processes. I mean, it's essentially uh, also like, you know, the do, reflect, act uh, uh, cycle. Um, so I always say like my most important tool is actually a retrospective, you know, like where you have like these kind of design sprints, like also an, or an organizational design level. And like you start somewhere and then you constantly reflect with the people of the organization, like does that actually work, you know, or doesn't it? And like is this actually desirable or doesn't it? And then I think like also something like values, which of course like are the structure of an organization, like can be changed because I see does it actually serve us or doesn't it and is it actually desirable or do we have maybe you know like we start with an uh, with a value and in the end i see like oh it's actually not that important at all like we don't live this value it doesn't show up anywhere but like the other value shows up so i think this like kind of you know like circle of like doing something reflecting on it changing it is like yeah pivotal for for organizational design and for organizations okay thank you very much and i'm going to leave the circle to make space for somebody else Cool. Yeah, I would like to go into one aspect, Sasha, you mentioned uh, in the beginning, and this is interplay of um, identity, like the personal identity that we have as individuals and then the organizational identity. Uh, and you mentioned one thing, the two things have to fit 
each other. Otherwise, there's a conflict and uh, then things cannot run smoothly. Uh, and my question would be maybe to, to everyone, uh, what is your experience with that? Is it possible that uh, organizations have such a strong identity that they can also probably influence or even change identities of people who are surrounded or who are working in this organization? In brackets, um, that would have to do something with uh, the so-called imprint vulnerability when my identity gets kind of really, really soft again because I'm disrupted or there's an intervention that is so strong that I'm rethinking it again. Uh, we had some of these um, moments uh, in some of our uh, transition camps, but this is definitely something that is not easily or readily uh, at hand probably. So what is your take on this? Like, Do you see the chance to use this actually as a tool or do you normally uh, organize the organization around the individual and serve the people with their identities who are already there instead of using it as a transformative tool? Can we maybe first see if somebody else wants to join us? Because I don't want to be so uh, exclusive. Maybe just everybody wants to... Benjamin would like to come in. <laughs> Can you take this one, maybe? Yes, hello, my name is uh, Benjamin Kafka. I, I work in a, in a place, the Berliner Union Film Ateliers in the south of the Tempelhofer Field that we are transforming currently to a space for soil, soil, soul, society. And um, I'm, I'm coming in now because I was just, I just felt I wanted to um, make a little addition to the notion of the retrospective uh, thinking to the reflecting on w what has happened and especially when it when we're talking about organizations and identity and values because um, in my mind there is really something about um, being together in a place and sensing what is possible and finding ways to to connect to that and not only to uh, what is already uh, present and what we already agree on or know that we agree on, but to find out what are the spaces um, for new agreements to happen and for new identities to uh, to form, which is a little bit what you described and what maybe happened in those camps. And um, I work a lot with um, uh, the concept of theory U that maybe some of you know, Otto Sharma, um, um, who's also influenced a lot by uh, the notion of design thinking in, in, in his theory, right? Um, and, and he talks about listening a lot and um, sort of uh, how can we as individuals in whatever um, role we are in an organization, be it as an identified leader or a, uh, whatever else the role might be, how can we listen in a way that we can, uh, can sense and actualize what, is potential, uh, what potentials are there? Um, and uh, yeah, so I just wanted to add that little bit. Thank you very much, Benjamin. Katarina, would you like to? Yeah, I'm going to say one last thing. Okay, so I totally agree with the the first what you said about the um, uh, retrospective being so important. And I think part of the big, like the biggest part of our job is to like install some kind of institutional uh, elements to an organization to make retrospectives possible. And I think I like what I found valuable is that 
Um, as some of you know Scrum, like the Scrum framework to organize work processes, you have two kind of retrospectives. Like you have one that only concerns the product and you have one that only concerns the relationships within the organization. So I think it's important to distinguish that because um, it's not necessarily connected or it's easier to find like the potential for improvements if you disentangle these two processes. And I, I totally work with you in, the, in terms of seeing the potential, of course. And also, I think it's important to not lose track of the pressure that the organization is under. Like, I find it difficult to, like, you know, paint the stars um, if you if they say we barely have any air to breathe right now. And I feel like you have to really take people where they are. In terms of, you can't just paint a beautiful picture and then take a baby step, and they're going to be unhappy. So you have to really be super clear about the progress you can make at that very second. Okay, and I'm going to leave, and I'm encouraging everybody to share your experience because I really want to hear from as many people as possible. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll just add a little thing. Um, in my mind, there's one really important thing is to know where you are and um, and and to use all your faculties you have um, to to generate an understanding, a common understanding of where you are, um, because otherwise you'll just be painting nice pictures and 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 you won't be able to make any any changes because you're sort of not with your feet on the ground. Yeah. I would bring together. Would like to bring together some of the things you have uh, said right now, and maybe challenge a little bit um, Agile and Scrum. Or n not because I don't like it, but uh, maybe to add something uh, to it. You mentioned theory use. Um, one of the basic uh, aspects, or one of the basic features of theory use, is letting go when you are when you have understood everything, felt everything, and so on, and something new can arrive. Which brings me back to this question of. Is it possible that identities, which w w would be a core aspect if we want to change our world, can uh, identities be uh, identities be um, uh, impacted by the organizations uh, that we build, and can we use processes that change so much that we have actually also a change in behavior? Um, and according uh, when I come when I look at, at Scrum, like we are, we are using agile processes uh, a lot as well. However, if I If I use it in a in a given setting, in an organization that already has a strong identity, uh, I often help them to do things that they already do better, but they do not necessarily change. They do not necessarily take in into account that the environment is maybe negatively affected because they take their environment as given and they just act in the system that is there. They don't have this uh, aspect of hey, this doesn't work for my identity because I'm a human being, I don't want to want to be uh, detrimental to the environment. Uh, and so we have to change this organization and that also affects uh, the context of the organization. So this is like a bigger claim that I made here in the beginning of, uh, of the text and that's what I would like to to go into a little bit more again, this question of identity and how powerful can organizations be in the end and what do we need for it. So trying to find good moments to jump into the discussion. This might not be one again, uh, because I wanted to go, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it and then you see whether that actually leads into your direction. Because I wanted to, I, I, I like the point where you said, let's get a bit more concrete. Like, how do we actually do this? You said a retrospective. I said, let's get more, let's be even more concrete. Like, how do we look into decisions? How do we do a retrospective in a way that we actually get to those assumptions, which is what I promised I could <laughs> contribute on. Um, so maybe 
but I don't fully understand your point yet. So I'm, I'm you you're asking how an organization, an organizational design or an organizational the values of an organization can have impact on my personal values or can you make it can you be a bit more um yeah narrow on on what what changes what and how and, and what you are looking for all right yeah uh yeah we'll try to um so uh, my notion would be this one when we work with organizations at the moment uh, organization development um self organizing things agile processes whatever we normally use the organization that is already there and make it kind of more efficient by having better processes and make it more agile but what doesn't change is the identity of the people that work within the organization and the organization is also not having um, a qualitative different um, influence on the environment they are still producing whatever they whatever they do um, my core question of this uh, of this roundtable would be is it possible to use organizational design in order both to influence the inner world of the people that work at the organization and then uh, relates to the identity topic and also to the outer world because at the moment our organizations are partly um, creating results that nobody can want actually for example environmental damages so the question would be this how do we get there also in a very concrete way to use these organizational designs to have a big influence uh, not only on the surface but also really going on a deeper level okay, you <laughs> Francisca sorry I mean I, I just jumped in because of the identity question actually and I think this in it you know like and maybe I understood you wrong but I think this in itself like the question that you ask is driven by a certain mindset And I did research on identity about like five years ago and uh, talked to someone who like really influenced my thinking of it very much by saying like this is a very westernized mindset that like identities are fixed basically, you know, like when you go into like Eastern cultures, actually like in Chinese, apparently there is not even a character for I, but the I changes depending on like what's the context of the I. And so I think maybe, you know, like we also need to, to work with this a little bit, you know, and like kind of ask ourselves, like, how can we actually just show that we are constantly and like we've, we've all seen that like in our development, you know, like our identity is constantly changing and like make this into something that's like an opportunity uh, rather than a threat, you know, in the end. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree there. And um, I, I, th I think, um, or I would like to add another, just one other idea that is everything we do is casting a vote for the personality we want or for the person we want to be. And the same can be applied to organizations. So, yes, of course, what you do in an organization, what is actually done, uh, influences the identity and the identity is absolutely fluent and and, uh, and 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 fluid it's not fixed not at all it's uh, it, it's actually we could think of identity as uh, a performative ex aspect actually of uh, of the organization as an organism okay, thank you sasha and we have a new member in our little round here Hi, um, I'm Julia and um, I know you. <laughs> I'm a systemic coach um, and a sociologist. And what Francisca said as well, um, 
actually what you both said um, about fluid identity. And I just want to um, point to we develop our identities in certain environments, uh, mainly, you know, early childhood and so forth. And then um, so we can provide an, a new environment which provides kind of like a new surface or new surfaces for identities to move um, in organizations. But th these organizations have to be built on other principles than um, often they are today. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are new work, you know, kind of environments where this is um, possible, but it's just this bringing it up to the surface, what is driving our organization um, and um, what consequence does that have for this identity formation? If we're still in the, you know, I have to guard myself kind of a world, then it's going to harden identities more than if I provide a safe environment, uh, very transparent for my system to be safe in and then open up to change in identity. And specifically what that needs is a question that drives my, um, yeah, um, research, let's say, on this. So I don't have the answers, but I would say that um, that's the general context I would be going for. Thank you very much. Are there any other inputs? Just to react to that, like I'm completely agreeing with you, and um, I mean, that's part of what I'm trying to build in organizations, what you said, like the core of a good environment is psychological safety and there is actually if you like just google psychological safety there is a great article by the harvard business review on how to exactly implement that um in terms of agile leadership so that's that's already there but i completely agree uh, so if, if you want to add to the to the discussion i forgot about the rules almost uh, you have to come into the middle because it's a fishbowl otherwise we're always we done anyway this quickens the process exactly <laughs> but it destroys the form <laughs> so please devil, come here okay, Sasha. just just for quick um adding to the uh, psychological safety part um i'm a big fan of the work of Brittany brown uh, on vulnerability and i think this is basically what, what psychological safety is about. It's about being vulnerable and being courageous. Uh, and you need to model this behavior in the organization. And if vulnerability is penalized by shaming people, you won't get anywhere. Thank you very much. Okay. So now we get closer to some real good ideas, how to, how to build these organizations that we need. Are there any other insights that you would like to share? I still feel like I, I don't really 100% uh, I, I am in your worldview here, but I might, I might want to add because it seems to me it still seems very far away that uh, that I can, I don't know, build the, the organizational design and then change somebody's, somebody's identity. It somehow does not exist in my, <laughs> in my understanding because uh, I would always think that... Um, that that the actual change happens on the individual level first i mean when we work with the critical thinking methods and we try to to get to those assumptions for example if like sasha said we you look at at how decisions are made within an organization then then we continue to say well decisions are made um, according to certain values and then we can work with the values but i think um, we don't only make 
uh, decisions according to certain values. Like we don't only look into this is option one and this is option B. And because I like B is more transparent and transparency is one of my values, that's why I choose B. That's I don't I don't think that's how decision making uh, works. I think when you look one level deeper and you look at the uh, at the assumptions, like for example, like a very simple one is you all know. Uh, is there really only A and B? Is there C and D? Or is there A slash B? <laughs> or something like this. But then you can also go uh, into assumption content-wise. Uh, uh, what kind of transparency are we talking about? Uh, do we have a common understanding of what transparency is? Or, um, uh, yeah, do we have a common understanding of what identity is just popped up? And I think, and this is, I mean, in a way it's very rational you might think but I think this is also what Kant has in mind when he talks about um, talks about like listening deep into your and he says rationality but I think you come to a to a point where you you have you 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 can reach a transformative way of of thinking because you transform your perspective in that way also a part of your identity Okay, so this is interesting. Now we have uh, two different perspectives that are probably not that far from each other, but they are def definitely looking from two sides on the topic. Uh, Maren, if I get you right, you are still like in this Kant Kantian way of uh, of thinking, seeing the responsibility in the individual, and um, so the identity identity can change from within the individual. And I understood you three guys a little bit more from the direction that identities are fluent and that we are influenced pretty much by the context uh, that we are in. I hope uh, I summarized this right, but you can, of course, uh, go into this again. And that's, I see you have a reaction. Both. For me, it's both. Um, the individual can... Um, and must uh, uh, shift um, identity. I mean, there's no other way that it happens in the individual. And also, the context plays a role and can enable and and uh, you know and and or hinder. And so, and I, and I think this whole thing of retrospective is so important as well because yeah, we can say values all day long, and then we do choose our options A, B to whatever. Um, based on things that might not be these values and that we don't know why but if we go into retrospective and these organizations can actually provide forums for such you know actually like a method then we become more accustomed to questioning ourselves as well within the organization and therefore also questioning our identity and that brings movement into the whole system uh, and it influences uh, each other then. So it's an interplay. Okay, thank you. Maren, you want, would like to react on it? I, I totally agree. It's, it's an interplay. But I would think that the reflection still has to happen within the individual, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. I, I also agree, actually, with all of you. <laughs> <laughs> I just tried to provoke a little bit to get <laughs> to get you discussing. And I, I think this reflection thing or the retrospective thing I f actually find very inter interesting because I, I, maybe you, other uh, organizational developers have noticed that there seems to be almost a, a natural, um, uh, what is it, like... Um, 
I don't have the English word for it. Like people don't want to reflect. Reflection is uh, scary. And uh, when you try to implement some agile processes, uh, there's never enough time for reviews or retrospective, right? Uh, I mean, that's at least what I experience. And and what uh, I mean, what's actually happening there? Why why do we um, shy away from reflection? And do we actually have a good have do we have good tools to to reflect and to reflect in in groups? Wow, I just saw the sign that this table is already at its end. I thought uh, I will I will get the five minutes <laughs> at least to sum up a little bit. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Probably um, we carved out at least some of the aspects that are, that are important. Um, I'm not sure if I can can bring this into one sentence, uh, but one thing I at least would uh, would like to to point out again that was this aspect of psychological safety. Uh, getting into reflections with a with a whole um, yeah with with the staff open a space that is safe to 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 reflect on both on identities also on on whatever is going on in these organizations uh, and we also learned probably that there are two sides of it um, one thing is individual as a complex system and there's uh, this is part of uh, creating identities. And from the other side, the context is also really important. Um, and uh, now I really have to hand. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the discussion and you can stay a little bit if you like.